I want to begin the message with, with two quotations, one an ancient quotation and one a more modern quotation. Uh, the ancient quotation comes from a saint called Arrhenius, and he said these words, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, and to be alive consists in beholding God. I love that quotation, because how many days do we live where we're not really fully alive? And yet that's how God created us. He created us to be alive for him and alive in him. Too often I'm more like this modern writer, John Eldridge, you may have read of him. He says this, 20 clear days a year. That sounds about like my life. The rest of the time it feels like a fog, like the bathroom mirror after a hot shower. You ever feel that way? Maybe 20 really great days a year? 20 days where you see things clearly, 20 days where you experience reality, and all the other days just seem like, you know, you're just walking through that fog and not really seeing things clearly. And that's why we're doing this short message series right now called Wake Up, because we're not going to experience life to the fullest. We're not going to be fully alive unless we wake up to the truth around us of God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about our purpose in life. In fact, spiritually, we're talking about having an awakening. You might remember our definition from last week's Sunday on awakening. Let me give that to you one more time. What's an awakening? It's like a revival. It's a renewal. Here's the definition. A sudden awareness that leads to an honest moment that leads to a lasting change. I like that. It starts with just an awareness. Here's what's going on. There's a problem in my life. I'm not living fully alive. But then sometimes we stop there. The next point, and here's what we're focusing on today, is a moment of honesty. A moment when I say, you know what? There is a problem. The world's not what it ought to be. And uh, let me start with me. I was reading about a, a New England newspaper that posed this question and asked its readers to respond. What is wrong with the world? Can you imagine if the local paper put that and said, I want you to respond. I want, we want emails, we want letters, just, just, it's your chance to tell us what is wrong with the world. What would you put? I'm not so sure I would have put what the theologian G.K. Chesterton wrote back to the paper in response to that question, what's wrong with the world? He wrote back very clearly, very simply, Dear sirs, it's me, sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. What do he say? I'm the problem, and I'm willing to identify myself with the problem. And all of us need that moment of clarity where we're willing to be honest about our lives. Let's be, let's be honest right now. We don't really like that moment of honesty. It hurts. It hurts if you're the wife in the marriage and you know it's your critical spirit that's destroying your marriage. It hurts if you're the husband and you know that it's your addiction to porn that's put a wedge between you and your wife. It hurts when you're trying to lead your, your family spiritually. And if you be honest, you spent more time last week watching Sports Center than you did praying with your children. It hurts to finally say, you know what? 
this alcohol thing's got a little bit out of control. I thought I could handle it, but the truth is, maybe no one else sees it, but I know it's not under control. You see, those kind of moments of clarity and honesty are hard for us to come by, and they're hard for us to admit. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Without honesty, awakening cannot happen. Listen to me. You're never going to really change and experience that alive life until you have that awareness that leads to that moment where you go, you know what, I've got a problem, and I need the help of God to overcome that. Right now, we're, we're studying this famous story from Luke chapter 15 of, of the prodigal son. It, it, it's, it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. And, and maybe you've heard about the prodigal son all of your life. But something I'd never really heard until studying this week is, what does the word prodigal mean? The, the word prodigal literally means a reckless spendthrift. That he spent recklessly. It literally means that he spent till he had nothing. Well, you know the story. There's a, a young man growing up in a family, and uh, man, he's sort of bored at home, and obviously thinks his dad's sort of cramping his style, and so he goes to his dad, and he asks to go ahead and have his inheritance. Now, this is unusual. In this culture, it's unusual, first of all, for the youngest son to get an inheritance, and at most, he might get a third of the inheritance. The older son would get the most. And he asked his father. Now, this is an, an extremely abrasive thing to say to your dad. What he is saying to your dad is, I want the things you can give me, but I don't want you. That's what he's saying. And surprisingly, in the story, the dad says, okay. And he gives him the money. And the guy goes off, you know. And man, he's got the money to party hardy. And he's partying. And then he runs out of money. And all his friends begin to leave him. They love partying with him. He didn't have any money. And then there's a famine and things get even worse. And finally he finds himself in a pig pen, you know, tending the pigs of an owner and wishing he could eat what they ate. And in that moment, he has that time of honesty. Look at what he says, verse 17, Luke chapter 15. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned. Boy, that's, that's some strong words, isn't it? Not, Father, I made a mistake. Father, I took you for granted. Father, I blew that. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You know, what, what may be going on here is he's saying, Dad, I've really blown it. What I want to do is come home. You hire me as a hired servant, and I'll start paying this debt off. He has no dream his father might accept him back. But look at, look at this moment here because he, he goes from simply an awareness, the Bible says, when he came to his senses. That's a great line there. When he came to his senses, then, then the next line is also a great line he said to himself, you start with that moment of awareness, and then you get to that moment of honesty. I love that. You see, it's one thing to be aware that you're blowing it. It's another thing to be honest about it. It's the um, 
husband driving down the road and the wife tells him to take the next exit on the interstate and he misses the exit and he becomes painfully aware that he's wrong. He's aware he's wrong. But he says to his wife, you know, I decided we'd take the scenic route today. There, there may be some historical marker down here that we would like to see. Instead of saying, baby, I just didn't listen to you and I missed the exit and I was wrong. It's one thing to be aware. It's another thing to be honest about it. Uh, any of you speak to yourself? I, I love the idea here that the prodigal son, he, he has a moment where he speaks to himself. It's a good thing to do. He knows things are not right and he begins to do something about it. He moves from regret to repentance. Now, sometimes, even we admit we're wrong, but it's only because we're caught. I'll never forget when I lived in Tuscaloosa, and I was campus minister there, my, my office butted up, and there was just a door right between my office and the, the preaching minister's office. And uh, our building was in an area of town that was sort of rough at times, and uh, someone had broke, a college student had actually broken into the building and had stole some things, and amazingly, the police had caught him. And they brought the young man into, Harold Jones was the preacher's name, office to, to apologize. And, and I, was, I was right beside it so I could hear the whole conversation. And, and the young man apologized. He said, I'm so sorry that, that I did this, you know. And I'll never forget what the preacher said to him. I thought it was so wise. He said to him, are you sorry because you got caught? Or are you sorry for what you did? And then the guy got real and confessed that he was an Auburn fan. And we knew, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, a little offensive there. Um, took the story too far. But I, I love, just laugh with me, it's okay. Let's laugh about this, all right? That's a good question. Are you sorry you got caught or are you sorry for what you did? And sometimes we come to a moment of regret. We, we, we have an awareness that we're wrong, but it really doesn't lead to repentance. R- repentance means, now sometimes I say, what does repentance mean? I get this answer. It's not a correct answer. It means to feel sorry about what you did. That's part of the answer. The other part of the answer is not only do you feel sorry for what you did, but you make a decision to turn around and to not do it again. That's Repentance. And that's what this prodigal son comes to. He comes to that moment of absolute repentance. That's one thing I love about this church. I've never been a church where there is more honesty and confession. It's one thing to become aware of your sins. It's another thing to say, you know what? I have sinned. God can bless that. Now this morning, I want to just pose some questions to you. I was reading a book by an author I like named Kyle Eidelman. In the middle of the book, he says, I want you just to stop and I want to ask these questions, some hard questions that might bring you to an awareness in your life that might even lead you to repentance. Let me me just throw these out to you. Did you spend more time this week on Facebook or in prayer? When was the last time you told someone I love you? How specifically have you helped someone in need in the last month? When was the last time you said to someone, I'm wrong, I was wrong, I need you to forgive me? 
What's on your DVR at home or on your computer's hard drive that you might not want anybody to see? When was the last time you prayed with your spouse or with your children? Can you name one missionary you prayed for over the last month? What sin have you confessed to God or to someone else? When was the last time you sat alone with an open Bible? This one hits me. Does your critical nature keep you from being able to enjoy people and even enjoy events? Wow, here's a tough one. Did you spend more money this month eating out than advancing the kingdom of God? Who besides God knows your secret sins? Those are some pretty tough questions that could lead us to some brutal honesty. Those questions should sound alarms in our mind. You see, often the alarm goes off. The question is, do I allow it to wake me up? I would guess for every one of us, there's one of those questions, at least, if not more, that we go, oh, I don't really like my answer about that. I really have put some things as more important in my life than the things that really count. Now, here's the question is, will that lead you to confession and honesty? You see, when the alarm sounds, here's how we need to be. First of all, we need to be honest with ourselves. That's where it started with the prodigal. He said to himself, you know, you know, you know one, one of the most dangerous things in life, honestly, is self-deception. It, it's one thing to be able to deceive other people into thinking you're okay, and that's dangerous. But it's even more dangerous when you get to the point where you have deceived yourself. So you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to admit the, the problem to yourself. Second, you've got to be honest with God. The prodigal said, I've sinned against heaven. Can you imagine having to admit, you know, God, what I really wanted is I want what you gave me more than I want you. A lot of times in the suffering part of life, in the critical part of life, we find out, you know, I followed God wholeheartedly until there were some hiccups in my life and things fell apart and I was hurting and God didn't do what I wanted him to do. And I find out in that moment something that's really hard for me to admit. The Lord, what I wanted you is I wanted your benefits. But I'm not so sure I wanted you. And so you become honest with God. I think about David after all of his brokenness. I think of David in the 51st Psalm. After he's committed adultery, after he's lied, after he's covered up, after he's murdered. And he says this, verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, only you have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. So you've got to be honest with God. And then here's a part we're a little uncomfortable with. We need to be honest with other people. The prodigal knew he needed to go admit to the father what he had done and the damage he had done in their relationship. 
This is the part of confession we're most uncomfortable with. I say, you know what? I, I have come to awareness of what I've done, and I've talked to God, and is that not enough? Well, the Bible says sometimes it's not. James 5, 16 puts it this way. Confess your sins and pray for one another that you may be healed. My friends, there's a healing power in the confession of our sins. When I finally sit down with someone one-on-one, whether I've sinned against them or it's just a private sin that I need somehow to get some healing from, there's something about saying that to someone and someone in the flesh saying to you, you know what, God's forgiven you of that. Now, people come to me, sometimes the preacher say, man, I've got to unload this on you. And sometimes it's something they did 20 years ago. And you go, you know, here's what I want you to know, brother, is that God doesn't even remember what you're talking about. He's forgiven it, and he's got the power to forget it. And so there's a great healing power when we begin to take advantage of our relationships. Guys, if we want to have deeper, more spiritual relationships, then we've got to get real. The truth is we all know that we all have problems. The deception is we come to church and act like we don't. Here's a book called Coping with Stress. And here's what it said about the power of confession. People who tend to keep secrets have more physical and mental complaints on average than people who do not, including greater anxiety, depression, and bodily symptoms such as back pain and headaches. My friends, when you hold in your sin and you don't confess it, it affects you physically. You know, David says one time, when I concealed my sin, my body was dying. There's something about letting it out. There's something about speaking the truth about your life that immediately gives you freedom. And you know, it also frees us. I was reading a book about a man that was leading a small group, and the small group had gotten very superficial. Maybe you're in one of our small groups right now, and really the answers every week are rather superficial. Nobody's really sharing the deep stuff. And he decided, I'm going to try to pose a question that would, that would get people to, to open up. And so he asked, what from your past has molded your personality today? And he thought maybe he'd get something a little deeper. But everybody in the small group just talked about positive things and great things in their past. No one really shared about a problem or a trial or a difficulty. And the leader sat there knowing that he had failed to get his group to go any deeper. It was just as superficial as it was every week. Until when he's just about to close down, a, a single lady in his group begins to confess her insecurities and her inadequacies and just how wrecked she feels in life. And then as she confessed that, she looked at the group that appeared to be so perfect. And she said, I wish that my life looked like your lives. And here's what the leader of that small group said in that moment. We sat there stunned by the reality which had drawn us irresistibly toward this thin, totally unprotected young woman. And I realized that it was we who needed what she had. The ability to be open, personal, and honest in a vulnerable way. As I looked around the group, I knew that somehow, because this theologically unsophisticated, honest woman had turned loose her silence and her pride, and it reached out in total honesty that, was, that it was safe for us to start becoming one in Jesus Christ. 
You know what most of us need? We just need somebody to get honest. And I've always noticed, whether it's in church service or in a small group, if somebody will get honest about what's going on in their life, the rest of us finally feel permission to go, you know what, my life's pretty messed up in some ways too. You see, when the alarm sounds, the question is, do you hear it? But not only is it, do you hear it or are you aware that there's something going wrong, but do you respond with honesty? Here's what, um, here's what I do. Too often, when the alarm sounds in my life, I just hit the snooze button. How many of you hit the snooze button at some point this morning? Okay, a few of you. You know, this week we've been talking a lot about alarms in the small group I lead for college students. I heard the most amazing story about, you know, what people do sometimes with snooze buttons. It's a young man. I've asked his permission to share this. He's a, a football player out at Faulkner University, and uh, he says he's a really deep sleeper. You'll believe it when I tell you the story. And he has like two or three alarm clocks in his room. And he tries to start waking up at 6 o'clock. And, and here's how it, 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 the alarm rings at 6 o'clock, 6.01, 6.02, 6.03, all the way to 6.10, he says. I, 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 I get snooze, 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 snooze. There's two alarms working. And then at 6.10, it goes to fi- five minutes. Then it rings at 6.15, 6.20, 6.25, 6.35, 6.40, 6.45. And then for the next 15 minutes, it goes back to... 646, 647, 648. I counted it up for the guy. His alarm clock rings 38 times before he wakes up. Can you imagine? Now that's a, you could wear your snooze button out that way, couldn't you? You guys, yet so many of us, guys, there's so many ways that we just keep hitting the snooze button, right? And we know spiritually we're not where we ought to be. We know in our marriage we're not where we ought to be. We know with some of our moral issues, we're not where we really, where God wants us to be. But I, I, just, I just hit it. Now let me give you, as we start closing out here, let me give you four ways that we hit the snooze button. Don't do this. First of all, is denial. I'll just act like it's not there. So sometimes the, the alarm is going off, but I just act like it's not going off in my life. You know, it seems to me that these TV news magazines are getting more and more desperate. How about for you? And I saw one the other night where they would go into hotel rooms and they'd cut the lights off and they'd cut a black light on. And when they cut the black light on, you could see all the stains on the carpet, on the bed. It was really, really nasty. And of course, the people in the news magazine got to trump it up. So they go down to the lobby, and there's this couple that's there for a great vacation. And they ask them for their permission, can they go to their hotel room with the black light? And they go up to the hotel room, they cut the black light on, and I mean, there's just ugly stains everywhere. And, And the woman says, cut it off, cut it off, cut it off. And they cut it off, and they cut the light on, and it looks pristine. And then she says... Now everything's okay. Sometimes we don't want that light on, do we? We'd rather go through life, you know, we know there's an issue, but if I can just act like there's no issue, then I can be okay. And then number two, one other way we hit the snooze button is through projection. Instead of me taking responsibility, I blame it on someone else. You know, we, we live in a culture of blame. Anybody has any problem, it's always somebody else's fault, right? That's why we have so many lawsuits. Have you noticed all the warning labels on so many things that you buy now? Now, why are those warning labels there? Because obviously somebody 
was not paying attention. Why, when you go to McDonald's, does the cup say, this may be hot? Because you know the story. Years ago, the lady who went through the drive-thru, who bought her coffee, and spilled it on her lap, and sued McDonald's. And so now McDonald's has to say, this is going to be hot. Be careful about this. Isn't that crazy? I've seen even worse. There's, I saw a stroller, a baby stroller the other day. And, and I, I kid you not, here's what the warning label said. Do not fold the stroller with the child still in the stroller. <laughs> I wish I had a video. Obviously, somebody did that at some point, you know? Here, here's another one that I saw. It, it went on a Batman cape. This cape does not allow the user to fly. First of all, Batman never flew, right? That's Superman. But second, obviously somebody got on top of a bunk bed and thought it was going to allow them to fly. And so now we have to put labels on things. And here's the worst I've ever seen. It's a warning label on a chainsaw. Do not stop the chainsaw with your hands. Well, that doesn't even sound good, does it? Now, why do we have to do that? Because we live in a culture where whatever happens in my life, I can find somebody else to blame. Because here's what I like about the prodigal son. He had lots of people in his life that he could have blamed. He could have blamed his boss for not paying him enough to eat good. He could have blamed his friends that left him when his money ran out. Honestly, in our culture, he would have blamed his father for being too permissive. You see, everything's always somebody else's problem. But the problem with denial is you still got a problem. The problem with projection is you never deal with it. And then third, sometimes we hit the snooze button by just minimizing it. It's just not that big a deal. You know, we, we, we like to use sweet little words when we blow it. You know, oh, I made a mistake, you know, I tripped up there, I am challenged in this area, I slipped... That's, that's why I love the prodigal son. He says clearly, I have sinned. He doesn't minimize it. You see, a lot of us don't deal with the problems in our life because we go, you know what? I know most Friday nights I'm drinking too much, but most everybody does. I, I know my language isn't good, but everybody I work with, their language, is, their language isn't so hot. I know my attitude at church isn't so good, but you know what? I mean, who likes everything? And you begin to minimize things to a point. I know we've been fighting a lot in our marriage, but and we minimize it. And we don't deal with the problem. Or probably the most key one is we hit the snooze button by just delaying. That's really what the snooze button's all about, isn't it? Is it basically says, I'll deal with it later. And the problem is later never comes. One day I'm really going to give my life to the Lord and put him first. One day I'm going to get this marriage where it needs to be. One day I'm really going to start reaching people for Jesus Christ. One day I'm going to step up and I'm going to serve in the kingdom of God. One day, and it just, you know, when I go to college, it's when I get out of college. When I get married, it's when I have children. When I have children, it's when they grow up. When they grow up, it's when they leave home. When they leave, it just is on and on and on. We just delay. But here's the problem. 
The problem is if you're living in denial or you're projecting it on somebody else or you're minimizing the issues in your life or you're just delaying dealing with them, the problem is it keeps you, it keeps you from confession and it keeps you from being fully alive. The truth we're trying to get across this morning is you will never be fully alive until you get honest with what's going on in your life. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 28, 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up, then God will show mercy to you. That's pretty blatant, isn't it? Never succeed until you finally confess. What does the word confess mean? It means to agree with God about it. You know, that's exactly what that prodigal son experienced. Watch the rest of the story. After he had said this speech to himself, look in verse 20, Luke chapter 15. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. This is your picture of God, friends. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Now, Now listen to me. That's unheard of in ancient cultures. Children ran... A young man might run, a woman might run, but a patriarch would never run. He would never pull his robe up to bare his legs so that he could run. And yet when God sees this son, he runs after him. He embraced him. He kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's starting his speech. But look what happens. The father doesn't allow him to finish his speech. But his father dismissed that. Said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Who's got the finest robe in the house? It's dad's robe. And put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. What's a ring about? A ring in that day was about authority and about power. And sandals for his feet, what does that say? My friends, a slave or a servant didn't wear sandals. They were barefoot. Only the child wore sandals. I'm restoring him as a child. Kill the fatted calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. To life. He was lost, but now he's found. And then I love the last line. So the party began. You think this young man ever dreamed that getting honest would lead him to this point? I don't think so. I think the reaction of his father blew him away. He thought at best maybe I'll go back home and pay my dad off and work for my dad and work my way back up. But that's not the picture we have of God. The party began right there in the moment of honesty and confession. I'm afraid some of us are not really living life to the fullest. And we might even think God's the problem there. The truth is, if you'd get honest and confess before God, that the party could begin. That what you will discover is that God is much more generous and graceful and forgiving and loving and even compassionate than you would ever believe. And if you'll get honest, you could experience being fully alive. 
I like what the author Tim Keller says about this story. We call this story the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal, remember we said at the beginning of this lesson, means reckless spendthrift. Here's what Keller says. The story is not really about the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal father. It's the father that's the reckless spendthrift. What the word means is he gave it all. And friends, here's what we got to get to this morning if we're going to get to a point of that moment of honesty and confession that what you are going to endure, what you are going to meet, what you are going to enjoy is a father who is a reckless spendthrift who gave everything, even his son, for you so that you might have life and have it to the fullest. But it's going to start with not just an awareness. You might have walked in here with an awareness. Or maybe you found it when we were going through those questions. It's going to really start when you get honest and you confess and we pray. And so this morning, you have that opportunity. If you'd like this church to pray for you before you get out of here, why don't you come to this prodigal God while we stand together and sing?